Hey man, say man, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to Back on Track with Troy Track Select. I'm excited to see you here, man. Episode five. Four episodes in 30 days, man. Absolutely insane. Four hours of content in a month. Doing excellent. And after this, it'll probably be like five hours of content. So super excited to talk to you guys today and give you some new thoughts on uh, some random thing I was thinking about this past week. One moment. Had to get some of that water to um, <laughs> relax my voice a little bit. Anyway, though, this week I'm super excited to talk about what I thought about. And uh, here goes nothing. So this this actually came to me a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago. Uh, this is a topic that actually popped up on Twitter. And it talked about one of the greatest five song runs in history. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Michael Jackson's Thriller. I'm not even going to waste no time giving a whole bunch of filler stuff, a whole bunch of intro stuff. We're just going to jump right into it. Um, But yeah, Twitter was talking about one of the greatest five song runs in history. And to be honest, there is no other five song run on someone's single album that is not, you know, some type of greatest hits that compares or even comes close to the five song run that he gave us. And the one I'm talking about specifically is um, starting with the fourth track, the album, it goes Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, Human Nature, and PYT, Pretty Young Thing. Uh, It, I mean, the reason why this is one of the greatest five song runs in history, not one of the greatest five song run in history is because you have to think about it like this. If you take all of those songs I just said, Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, Human Nature, PYT, and you put a put them on a, you're talking about a greatest hits, all of those songs have to go on Michael Jackson's greatest hits compilation. No other artists are doing that where multiple songs in a row and honestly well one more but one multiple songs in a row especially five would go on their greatest hits of all time. And not just his greatest hits but one of the greatest hits in music of all time. All those songs would probably go up there uh, and no artist of any caliber, of anywhere, has done any type of five-song run like that. I'm sure in the future I'll be researching and looking out for, you know, and seeing some. I'm sure some people do have a great five songs on a single album that, you know, go on a row, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But, um, yeah, that those songs are really something else, and each of them kind of have some great story behind them or some great monumental moment and uh, basically what we're going to do with this podcast is we're going to appreciate some of the songs and we're going to talk about uh, the history of them and the stories of kind of how they came to be. Um, so, but before we do that, you kind of have to know the story of Thriller and how it came to be. And I'm not going to talk about the entire album, just just these five, but understand that Thriller doesn't exist without off the wall, which is the album that comes directly before this. And a lot of people don't realize Thriller is Michael Jackson's sixth solo album. Um, (laughs) And Off the Wall is the fifth. And before that are a bunch of albums that you can't tell me the title of. Go ahead. Try right now. I know you sat there and it was just silence because you don't know them because they don't matter. They're important. Sure. But the reality is, is that you don't know them. You can't name me a single song off of any of those four albums that comes before Off the Wall or Thriller. And after that, Michael, you know, Off the Wall, Thriller, after that, Michael Jackson just goes on an insane run of albums anyway with uh, Dangerous and Bad and I think Invincible. Um, 
And then Escape is an album that comes after, actually, you know, posthumously after he passed away. But yeah, so uh, basically, Off the Wall is his first, you know, big moment of being Michael Jackson, the solo artist. Of course, we all know Michael Jackson from the Jackson Five, carrying the Jackson Five as the lead singer at like five years old. And if you listen to some of that Jackson 5 stuff, I kind of forgot when I was much younger, you know, because you just listen to it. But if you go back now and listen to it, Michael Jackson is singing like for real as a child. He's doing runs like I could not sing like that right now. And a lot of grown people cannot sing like he was singing as a child, even though, you know, if you talk on the song I'm talking about specifically is, um, you know, ABC, easy as one, two, three. You get the point. Um, as simple as do, re, me, A, B, C, one, two, three, baby, you and me, girl. He's singing hard on that song. It's not little kid stuff. But um, if you listen to Off the Wall, Off the Wall ends up going platinum several times over. Um, super amazing album. Actually, a lot of an unpopular opinion that is maybe starting not to become so unpopular is that um, a lot of people think that Off the Wall is actually better than Thriller. I enjoy it a lot because it's a it's mostly R and B stuff and soul and funk stuff. I honestly, if I'm talking about a random day where I'm just sitting and listening, I might choose Off the Wall over Thriller, um, but it doesn't have the notoriety that Thriller does. And so, anyway, though, Off the Wall actually has an amazing documentary. And that's how I found out a lot of this information. It has an amazing documentary directed by Spike Lee. And I suggest that you guys check it out. It's, I think it's like two hours long, but definitely worth the time. Um, came out in 2016, so it's fairly new. But in that documentary, we talk about, they're talking about all the wall and how it came to be. And essentially, you know, it does super well. Go, do, goes, how many times platinum? Let's see. Off the Wall, released in 1979, sold 20 million albums across the world and went eight times platinum. Um, but somehow, some way, it f- did not receive um, record of the year. And Michael Jackson was just like really angry about that. Actually, let's see who be off the wall. We'll see who be off the wall for regular of the year. Um, hmm. I don't know. I don't see it. I'm not sure. I should have looked this up earlier. It doesn't really matter. Oh, here we go. Uh, but anyway, off the wall, you know, Get snubbed for record of the year, and um, because of that, Jackson is like extremely, um, extremely angry. 1980, I'm trying to find it, I really would love to tell y'all who beat it, but it's fine. So he loses record of the year, and then he goes and he just makes the decision that he's going to, it, you know, of course he got some Grammys, but he only got one apparently. I see a great award, whatever. He decides that um, he's going to write like the greatest album of all time. And uh, he's just got this chip on his shoulder about the next album that he's going to make. He's like, there's, I'm going to write a record that's so big that they can't deny it. There's there's nothing they're going to be able to do to keep me from getting all these Grammys, all these awards, all this recognition, all this impact. They're going to have to look me in my face and give me every single one of those awards. And he ends up writing and creating the highest selling album of all time, like by far with, you know, according to Wikipedia, 60 million records sold across the world. No, excuse me, 66 million records sold across the world, uh, going three times diamond 
33 times platinum. So, you know, numbers that you really can't even fathom, numbers that will never, ever be replicated, repeated. This album will always stay the greatest selling album of all time. Of course, we're talking about Thriller. Um, And honestly, I had to look it up to see if it was still the greatest selling album of all time. And technically, on a technicality, um, it is not. In 2018, the Eagles' greatest hits album, released in 76, surpassed Michael Jackson's 1982 album, Thriller, to take the top spot uh, for, you know, best-selling albums of all time. Which, whatever. (laughs) You know, uh, it doesn't compare at all. It's a compilation of their greatest hits. Your greatest hits can beat one Michael Jackson album. Now, with that being said, the Eagles are no slouch. They do have the um, the second, excuse me, they have the first and third slot. So I think the third slot is just a regular album. Yeah, um, third best-selling album of all time with the band's Hotel California. So number one is their compilation album. Number two is Michael Jackson's Thriller. And number three is uh, the Eagles' Hotel California. So, you know, Really, Michael Jackson still has the greatest album of all time. I'm not going to count no compilation or greatest hits as, you know, single albums. I can't even believe we're having that conversation. But, yeah, so we get to Thriller. And every single song, Michael Jackson's Jackson's trying to make a point and say, this is going to be a great song. We're really going to try to break in there. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the beginning of the five song run I'm talking about. We're not starting at the beginning of the album. I'm just talking about one of the greatest five song runs in history. And the first song on that five song run is the title track, Thriller. So, um, of course, we all know Thriller, produced by Quincy Jones. The entire album is produced by Quincy Jones, who is a legend in his own right. I mean, probably more so than Michael Jackson, for sure, kind of, but a lot of people don't know his name because he was the producer um, and not Michael Jackson. You know, he was a little bit more behind the scenes, but that's not what we're talking about. So um, one of the first things I'd like to talk about in terms of Thriller is the title actually comes from, uh, and the title of the song and the title of the album actually comes from uh, Rob Temperton, who a lot of you guys might not know. Rob Temperton, I want to make sure before I say something. Yeah. Um, Rob Temperton is the organ player for the group Heatwave. If you don't remember who Heatwave is, they were the group who wrote Always and Forget, uh, Always and Forever. So, you know, Always and Forever. We'll treasure each day. It's like a dream to me. I know I'm probably skipping a, a ton of stuff. I might be switching songs, but always and forever. So the group only lasted for three years. But Rob Temperton, excuse me, Rod Temperton, um, went throughout the music industry writing stuff for everyone. So he had actually, Quincy Jones went to him and was like, hey, you came up for the title of the last album, so let's see if you can do it again. So Rod Temperton is actually responsible for the name of um, one of Michael Jackson's other legendary albums, Off the Wall. He wrote that title. That's the reason that is called, um, that album is called Off the Wall. I don't know if he wrote the song. Chances are, though, he did. But, uh, so yeah, he... He writes this and he says, basically, Quincy asks him, can you write another one? So he says, great, I'm going to go back to the hotel. He says that night he wrote, you know, two to three hundred titles. And he originally came up with the idea Midnight Man. But he woke up the next morning and he just said the word thriller. And he said he could just see it on top of the billboard charts. You could see it merchandise, see the merchandising for it because it's a single word. He loved how it jumped off the page. And so. That's how we got the title Thriller. Now, I'm trying to make sure 
Yeah, I believe he wrote this song. I don't want to just say that, but I think he did write this song. And basically, you know, they um, he helped play the keys on it and stuff like that. But one of the other things that is extremely important that a lot of people might forget is that um, Michael Jackson is the reason that MTV kind of is as big as it is because he had the video for Thriller, which at the time cost half a million dollars. Um, and this is, you know, 1980s money. So adjusted for inflation, that was a million point three, 1.3 million dollars, which is like, I'm sure the time was kind of unheard of. Um, and basically, you know, you've all seen the video. He's got the choreography. Everyone's dressed in all the makeup. It's a movie. I think the whole video itself is like 13 minutes. But to spend $1.3 million for 13 minutes, so this is not a whole movie, is insane. You're talking about the 80s. Of course, in the 80s, it was 250000 But you get the point. Um, Just something crazy. But you guys know how insane that video was. You've got the... All the dancers, all the choreography that we were still doing up until a few years ago. I remember people were doing the flash mobs of uh, the Thriller dance at different locations. You could see all those types of videos on YouTube all the time. The video is legendary. Um, if you're talking about iconic music videos, that's going to be near the top, if not at the top. Um but yeah, I mean, that the video was insane. The song was crazy. And actually, uh, apparently this song, Thriller, is, of course, you know, is very strongly associated with Halloween. And it is uh, the only, it's one of only two songs to chart every year because of a holiday. So, of course, this one's attached to um, Halloween. But who is the other artist? I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you five seconds to guess who has a song that is attached to a holiday that charts every single year. All right, that's, that's about five seconds. The answer is Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You. So um, Thriller and Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas Is You are the two songs that kind of chart every year because of, you know, some, <laughs> because of a holiday that is coming up. But, um, yeah, I mean, we all know Thriller. Originally, I, it's obviously kind of a novelty track, and <laughs> that's actually what Rod Temperton did not want to do. He wanted it to just be something that you could play all the time. And I'm sure at the time, you know, it was just on repeat all the time because it was a great track. Um, but, I mean, for real, we, we really do associate with, um, we associate with Halloween. So, yeah, I mean, super great, funky riffs. Um, you know, it's close to midnight, got a really <laughs> great theme going on and got some horror tropes in it. And actually, one of the funniest things about it, and I know he's mad, the outro, the person um, with the voice doing the outro of the song where he's got that spoken word part, which was actually always a part of it, even when he was first reading it. Rod Temperton um, did write it with the intent to have that on there. Um, it's voiced by Vincent Price, which at the time was this guy known for a, a distinct voice and performances in horror movies. Um, yeah, so I know he heard because when he, excuse me, not when um, he wrote, but he was voicing the outro, doing that nice part. He did in two takes. Great job. Shout out to him. But when given the choice, he was given an option to receive a flat $20,000 for the narration, which was at, you know, now you say $20,000 um, doesn't seem like much for what he did. But of course, this is all hindsight. Anyway, $20,000 in the 80s was a lot more money than it is now. But you could accept the flat $20,000 for the narration, or he could take the royalties on the album sales. Which one do you think he chose? 
He chose the flat $20,000. And I know in his spirit, he's yelling right now that he's mad he did not take the royalties on what ends up being the biggest album of all time, album with the most sales of all time, and will never, ever get any numbers like that again, especially with how music is gone now with streaming and stuff like that. So, you know, on the on the interview with Johnny Carson, he did an interview with Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show that he accepted that $20,000. And I'm, you know, Johnny Carson was like, well, you you really kind of got gypped <laughs> and I missed out on a lot of money. He said, don't I know, man. And it's really unfortunate. Of course, no one knew what Thriller was going to be. You know, no one knew it was going to be that big of now, but in hindsight, it's 2020. And of course, it's we're looking at it from the year 2020 after seeing what Michael Jackson did with that album, what it was after that. Um, and we're looking at it as Michael Jackson, the legend who has already put out Thriller and Off the Wall and Dangerous and Bad or Bad is probably all dangerous, but you get the point. Um, it's hard to fathom, but he did just put out Off the Wall, which did go platinum, and he did get a Grammy for it. So I would think the smart thing to do, even if you know Thriller didn't become what it was, even if I was gambling on an artist, I would be like, I'm going to take the royalties. But maybe he didn't realize really who Michael Jackson was. I don't know how you couldn't. He was already super famous for doing um, being in the Jackson Five and being it on the Wiz, um, but whatever he took the twenty thousand dollars and lost out on a lot of money. So let's go on to the next legendary song in this list. Um, next song after Thriller is "Beat It" by, of course, "Beat It" by Michael Jackson, of course. Um, yeah, so "Beat It." Again, produced by Quincy Jones. Uh, Beat It is a solid rock song. A lot of times, you know, because Michael Jackson and a lot of these black artists were so, of course, deeply into soul and R&B and funk, um, it can sometimes be misconstrued that certain songs they're putting out are not in a certain genre. So a lot of the a lot of black artists were country artists or did put out country songs or rock songs or you know electronica whatever. But a lot of times because they are black, it gets grouped grouped into R and B and soul, and that's not what it is. And I don't think they made that mistake with this one, but who knows? I wasn't there. But beat it is a solid all the way rock song. Got these heavy guitars going in the background, and actually the point of it. <laughs> which seems almost impossible. It's about his Michael Jackson's disdain for violence and how, you know, you should know when to pick what battles to leave from and avoid because you know, he hated fighting. So the whole song is about not fighting, which is very funny for a rock song um, to actually chart with a non-violence message like that. But Michael Jackson actually did write Beat It himself. Uh, Quincy Jones told him, that he should write a song that sounds like uh, My Sharona by The Knack, which is, I mean, I'm sure that song did great, but if you talk about the level of influence and how many people know about My Sharona versus Beat It, (laughs) it's really funny to think that he wrote it kind of based to sound like that song and based on that song. But if you do listen to the two tracks, the two drum patterns, in the beginning only, do kind of sound similar. Um, and they do kind of have that a little kind of janky uh, feeling to them. Uh, and you can kind of replace My Sharona and beat it a little bit at the beginning. After that, it becomes its own thing. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he wrote the song. And what a lot of you guys probably already know, um, you know, the famous solo in the middle of it was written and performed by Eddie Van Halen of Van Halen. 
Uh, and this is one thing you guys need to stop making this mistake. Stop doing stuff for free. I don't know why you did that for free. He says he gave it to him for free. That solo. He said everybody from the band from Van Halen was out of town. And he figured that who's going to know if I play on this kid's record. He said he didn't want anything. Maybe Michael Jackson will give him dance lessons someday, which I'm sure was kind of a joke. But um, I don't get it. I, why would you give out that solo for free? Also to say on this kid's record, like we're not talking about Michael Jackson. Of course, he was not the huge figure we know him to be today, but um, he had just released a couple of years ago at the time off the wall, which need I remind you, received a Grammy. This is not some small artist we're talking about here. I don't know. Everybody's acting like this wasn't a big deal. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, super great song. Um, actually, it is played for, excuse me, played by Steve Corcaro. And we'll, we'll get into deeper into who that is a little bit later in this podcast because he has an amazing story about one of the songs that he wrote for uh, Michael Jackson on this album. So, yeah, but he says famous guitar guitarist Eddie Van Halen played the guitar solo um, after producer Quincy Jones called him to come try and, you know, play it for him. He actually thought it was a prank and he hung up the phone on Quincy Jones three times. But eventually he actually realized it was real and he went to the studio to record the song. He said it recorded in half an hour and even uh, helped on the on arranging the track. So these are some supremely talented people that were working on Beat It um, and helping him. And that's something I think we should realize uh, that we should get out of this is that you don't have to do stuff by yourself for it to be great. Uh, Michael Jackson, this album was helped, uh, helped, I don't know, a lot of people helped Michael Jackson with the album, a ton of different artists who were already amazing musicians, who already had very established careers with different, uh, their own different groups, their own different bands in the music industry came to help Michael Jackson write one of the greatest albums of all time, highest selling album, album of all time. So ask for help, man. <laughs> if you want to do something great, I think greatness comes more so from uh, from working together, which we should all know at this point. But greatness comes more from working together than trying to do stuff by yourself all the time. Let's see here. So I think I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next track for you guys. Let's see. Next song in this incredible Five song run is Billy Jean. So, Billy Jean, if you don't know, let me see, I'm trying to get here. Yeah, this is it. Billy Jean, we all know that it's, you know, super famous for its bass line that doom, 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 do, 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 do. I'm not going to go all into it, but let me see. I think Michael Jackson actually wrote this one as well. He says uh, his original inspiration was that he just wanted to write a song with a great bass hook. And that was, uh, was kind of it. He said he was driving down Ventura, Ventura Boulevard when he came up with that hook. And, uh, you know, we all know the song is basically about some girl claiming to be pregnant with Michael Jackson's child. And he said to him uh, in interviews that there actually was no real Billie Jean. There was no person who ever claimed to be the uh, the him to be the father of one of her children, which I found very hard to believe, seeing as this is Michael Jackson we're talking about. At the time, one of the most famous people in the world and no woman nowhere is claiming that he is the father of their child. He said he wrote it um, as kind of a grouping together all the women that played his brothers over the years. 
he said he could never understand how, you know, somebody could lie about something like that, carrying someone else's child. And of course, you know, at, at the time it hadn't happened to them, but later in his life, someone claimed um, there was a, in 1981. Yeah, a woman wrote him letters claiming he was the father of one of her twins. So whatever. Anyway, though. Um, yeah, and apparently Quincy Jones really didn't want to put Billie Jean on Thriller. A couple of reasons why he didn't like it is because he didn't like the intro. So I guess he didn't like that baseline. And he didn't like, um, he was worried that people would associate it with Billie Jean King, which is this legendary tennis player. Um, but Michael Jackson fought to keep the song on the album and he would even change the name of it. Um, Quincy Jones suggested that he change it to Not My Lover. But Michael Jackson's like, no, it's going to be called Billie Jean and you're just going to have to deal with it. And it ended up on there. And of course, it ends up being one of Michael Jackson's greatest songs that he ever wrote. I mean, like I said, every single one of these songs that I'm naming is put on his greatest hits. Um, one of the crazier things about it is this is the song, Billie Jean, is the song that he first debuted the moonwalk to. In a live performance, he, uh, you know, he's singing the song and stuff in the middle of it. He does the moonwalk. And I don't know, like I watched the video and I don't know how that didn't blow every single person's mind in the audience. I don't understand how they didn't like the brains just didn't explode by seeing someone do the moonwalk if you had never seen that before. Because it's still amazing now. I mean, yes, we've seen tons of people. One of the funniest things, we've seen tons of people do the moonwalk, but most people cannot do the moonwalk. Not only that, but if you look at videos of live performances of Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk with um, dancers in the background, most of the time, there's at least one or two of them, and these are professional dancers. There's at least one or two of them that have kind of a, you know, a little bit of a shaky moonwalk. It's, it ends up not working too well for them. So even professionals have a hard time doing the moonwalk. And, um, you know, he was doing it in shoes, not on socks on your hardwood floors or on your tile floors at home. He was doing it in regular shoes. I don't understand how people didn't just like, I don't know, faint from seeing something like that. You probably thought Michael Jackson was Jesus seeing him do some stuff like that. And people actually most definitely did. Um, but he does it and he doesn't even do it for a long time. He actually only does it for like a couple steps, maybe four seconds uh, in the performance. But there's a video on YouTube. I think it's Michael Jackson. He debuted it in 19... 19- 83 um, is when he first did it. And I don't, I mean, hey, of course it was an amazing performance and he's an amazing performer. If you see him, he's singing the stuff. It's not on a vocal track and he's dancing really hard and his voice doesn't even sound shaky. You don't even hear him breathing or, you know, trying to catch his breath when he's doing this stuff. So I'm sure that took a lot of practice and a lot of preparation, a lot of exercise to get that down, like it sounds just like the record while he's dancing. So never drops and never drops a beat. It's perfect the whole time. Um, but hey, whatever. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go to the next song. Yeah, I sure will. Okay. Next song. Let me get rid of that one. Yeah. Okay, next song is um, Human Nature by, uh, of course, Michael Jackson. And this is song number four. And it actually has a really amazing story attached to how it came to be. Um, So basically, this song was written by um, Steve... Porcaro. This is the guy I was talking about earlier. I told you I was going to bring him back. I brought him back. Steve Porcaro is uh, 
a band member of the group Toto. So that's the the guys who made Africa. You know, I felt the rains in Africa. Sorry, I know that's probably not exactly how that goes, but you you know what song it is. Look it up. It's really, really great. If you don't know it, I don't know why you wouldn't, though. But um, I'm trying to see what's the best way to tell you guys this song. So this story. So basically, we get a sip of this water first. Steve Porcaro writes the song because he is um, he comes home from, you know, some recording sessions and he goes to see his daughter at his mother's uh, at her mother's house. So he goes over there and sees how she's doing. And apparently she's just had she's probably like six or seven at the time. So apparently she's just had an awful day, um, just a really, really rough day. And he's trying to figure out, you know, what's what's wrong with her. And it turns out that she had fallen off of the slide. <laughs> and this boy, again, who was six or seven, came up and hit her and then ran away. And he was trying to his daughter was looking up to him and asking him, you know, why would that boy do that? Why would he treat me like that? And um, he couldn't. Steve was trying to figure out how he could tell his daughter, you know, that, oh, you know, the boy probably just liked you. Um, he's just eventually told her it's human nature. Um, and he ends up writing this song about it. And that's where those, you know, why, why? Tell him that it's human nature. Why, why does he do me that way? Um, yeah, that's that's literally where that comes from. So... Um, but that's not really the entirety of the story. The basically Quincy Jones had been asking, um, David, I'm trying to see what his whole name is. I don't see his whole name, but I'm sure he is associated with Toto. So he's been asked, uh, Steve, dang, Quincy Jones has been asking David, um, to give him like stuff for Michael Jackson's album. Cause David has been working on, I guess um, just groove, different grooves, been working with different synthesizers, um, pianos and whatever, and giving them to Quincy Jones on cassettes because it's the 80s <laughs> to, uh, you know, try to work into Michael Jackson's album, figure out which ones are the best ones. And um, so Quincy Jones has been sending this assistant to get, you know, these these tracks that he's been working on. Yeah, I've been working on it at the time. So David's been sending him stuff. And one time he gets a call that the messenger is on his way. And he said, um, you know, told Steve to throw something we've been working on onto a cassette. And so apparently they didn't have any blank cassettes at the time. And um, so what he ends up doing is he had his demo of Human Nature, which was never meant for Michael Jackson. It was just a song that he had. And apparently Steve had a really bad habit of never finishing songs. He would just write something and maybe the lyrics wouldn't be finished or grooves wouldn't be all the way done. But he has the song Human Nature on this cassette. So what he ends up doing is recording over it or recording over the blank spots on the cassette. Um, and, you know, just gives that to like plays it up to where it'll start on um, on the grooves that they've been working on. So basically it's human nature, plays through human nature, starts recording right after his demo of human nature ends and just um, has it ready to go right there so that when uh, Quincy Jones starts playing it, it'll just play the demo. Well, what ends up happening is Quincy Jones plays the tape when he get it gets to his office and he's just listening and listening and listening and working on stuff in the background. He's actually letting the grooves play in the background. But he's working on stuff. And eventually because of the technology at the time, there was an auto rewind feature. So it gets all the way to the end and, you know, then some silence and it rewinds it all the way back and it goes to the beginning where human nature is. It starts playing and the uh, human nature starts playing and like Quincy Jones, 
um, is amazed. He's like, oh my God, that song's so good. We got to have it. He's super excited about it. And he calls David, who you know they've been working with. He calls David, he said, hey man, human nature is amazing. We got to do something with it. And apparently it took David like 30 minutes to admit he didn't write that song. It was actually Steve who wrote that. So, um, you know, he says, Quincy's like, the song is great, but it's not done. Like it's the lyrics need a little work. It's he, he doesn't really like the lyrics like that. So he's like, can you finish it? So Steve forces himself to finish the lyrics on the song, even though, like I already told you guys, Steve is not good at finishing songs. He, take, he just doesn't like he forces himself to do it. Uh, Quincy still doesn't like it. And he just asks him if he could uh, have um, this guy named John Bettis, Bettis to finish them. And I guess Steve was fine with that. And so he goes in there and it helps him. You know, John goes in there, finish the lyrics, and I guess then they love it. And then they have, they have, you know, what they, they end up with Human Nature, one of the greatest songs we've ever heard. And it was completely by accident. It was best case scenario if that hadn't happened. And Steve, I mean, um, they had you know, some blank cassettes or if it never got to Quincy Jones for whatever reason, or if it was never rewound to get to that first part, we might've had a Toto version of human nature, which, you know, I'm sure probably would have been a classic song to a degree, but it probably would not have become what it was without Michael Jackson. And I'm not saying that's because, you know, Michael Jackson would have done such a better job than Toto would have, but because of the name recognition and what project it ends up being attached to, it would have just done way, way bigger numbers. Way more people were listening to Michael Jackson, and that's just the reality of it. So apparently, Michael Jackson actually just played the uh, played the piano on the track perfectly, one take, no punches, no repairs, no time correction. Just perfect, which is crazy. I think I don't really I didn't know he could play the piano that well. I knew he could do, you know, he probably picked up a little something just by being around all the artists he was around since he was a kid. But I didn't know Michael Jackson could actually play any instrument. Just knew he was an amazing singer, amazing dancer, an amazing performer. Um but when you're surrounded by people who just have that much excellence since you were a child. Cause you gotta remember Michael Jackson started on Motown. So he's surrounded by uh, Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, Marvin Gaye. I think he was surrounded by um I think Diana Ross was on Motown as well. But you get the point. I mean, I'm I'm naming really heavy hitters when you're surrounded by that since the age of, you know, 10 ish, maybe even a little younger, and you really focus on your craft and you love your craft, you're destined to do some amazing work. So, hey, one of the crazier things about that, though, is that um, Human Nature, of course, is my sound playing a line written by Rod Temperton. The sound and part were later supplanted by background vocals, but the basic main line, solo, and most layers are from Steve Procaro, which is based on a demo he wrote when he was 17. You can do really great things, man, if you just have the resources and an outlet. You talking about you wrote Human Nature at 17 years old, one of the greatest songs ever at 17? You wrote a classic that everybody's like, oh, you got to know, you know, uh, Human Nature. But, you know, that's that's just what ended up happening. So don't doubt yourself, man. You know, I know a lot of times we might not get that validation that we really want and need. And we want somebody to tell us this is great. This is a great idea. Sometimes you just do stuff that's amazing and great on its own. And you don't need anybody to tell you that it was this great thing. Um. It just is. And it might stand on its own. You might not get 
the recognition of it being, you know, one of the greatest songs of all time, the greatest whatever, and get all these accolades. But sometimes stuff that you do on your own that is just yours for you is inherently amazing. Okay, last song of the five song run that I want to talk about for Michael Jackson's Thriller is PYT. Pretty young thing, man. Um, I'm not even sure there's really a, a, a big story about this, but uh, it's just an amazing song. And it's a, whoops, sorry. It's a song that is going to be on his, um, interesting. It's a song that's going to be on his greatest hits, is on his greatest hits. Whenever you talk about Michael Jackson's greatest songs, it ends up being on there because you just can't deny it. It's super bouncy. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, been sampled by a couple of people, most notably, at least my favorite version of the sample is Kanye West's Good Life. On uh, I think that Good Life is on graduation. Um, at the very end, you hear that little high-pitched up voice of Michael Jackson singing, I want to give you uh, TLC, PYT, da, da, da. but really just an amazing song, again, written and produced by Quincy Jones, as well as this guy named James James Ingram. Hey, I don't know James, but still, um, trying to make sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the five-song run, you know, just an amazing piece of work for Michael Jackson that will never, ever be topped. There is no artist right now who has a better five song run on a single album. You could maybe, even on a lot of artists' greatest hits, on a five song album, could they get bigger and better than Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, Human Nature, PYT? And when I'm saying that, Yes, I'm sure some of you guys will like their stuff more. You might like the flow more. But in terms of um, general influence and reach and, you know, what people look up to as the gold standard, it's not absolutely not getting any bigger and better than those five songs. Um, Michael Jackson was so big that... He he made music videos a movie for basically, I think, the MTV era of them being like, oh, my God, we have to look at MTV is from probably the 80s, starts in the 80s. It probably goes to the early 2000s, because after that, because of the Internet, um, music industry is losing a lot of money, didn't have the same type of money they had before. Um, and so, you know, you end up with um, just this amazing era of music television. <laughs> you end up getting all these crazy music videos. And I don't think that I really don't think that happens without Michael Jackson doing something like Thriller and making the music video for Thriller. I mean, other videos did get other songs on here did get music videos. I know for sure Billie Jean had one. Beat It had one as well. And Thriller. So probably those three videos. Because he actually, Thriller was the third thing to get a video. And um, TV stations wouldn't pay for it. So they ended up having to, you know, fundraise for it some other way. But yeah, it's Michael Jackson's Michael Jackson. He's one of the biggest artists that ever will be. <laughs> it's not going to be too many other people who surpass him. The only people, um, person that people try to compare Michael Jackson to now is Beyonce. And um, that's an argument that people will probably have forever. And we won't really be able to see until Beyonce probably passes away for real because she's still making music and very much one of the largest artists in the world right now um she's a billionaire yeah <laughs> so anyway that's that's just what it was man 
insane five song run. And those aren't even the only <laughs> those aren't even the only songs on the record. There are other songs that are very good. Uh, one of me starting something is also very much probably considered uh, one of Michael Jackson's greatest songs. Baby Be Mine. I love that song. Honestly, I probably like it more than PYT. It sounds kind of similar to PYT to me. But um, yeah, I mean, and The Girl Is Mine. I love The Girl Is Mine with Paul McCartney. Um, I didn't know about that song for a long time. I guess it kind of got faded in because the other songs were such giants, which is amazing considering that you have Michael Jackson working with one of the Beatles and somehow that song gets kind of faded into history and washed out. That just shows the level of excellence and the amazing work that these other songs were. And this album, you know, Thriller, we we think about it as this big monumentous thing, but it's only nine songs. It's only 42 minutes. The album isn't even an hour. And you know why? Because they believed in leaving things on the chopping room floor. They believed in just no filler, just the best of what we can possibly give you. In some things that I read, apparently, Thriller started off as 30 songs. I don't know what those other songs were. It'd kind of be amazing to find out what they are. Um, they could have been repurposed and put on future Michael Jackson songs. Some of them may never have been released. Maybe they didn't fit with the theme of what they were doing. Maybe they were still amazing songs, but just in this group of nine songs, they didn't exactly, you know, fit and flow well enough, um, at least what Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson might have thought. But starting from 30 songs and whittling it down to nine is what I wish a lot of these artists would do now. We are forced to sit through these just, you know, just snooze fests of albums. I'd be skipping. Bro. I don't even I got fed up. I used to always give artists a chance and I'll just let it play through the whole thing. No matter how much I don't like a certain song, I'll at least let the album play through it a few times and I'll get a chance. I still do. But sometimes, man, I just, I'm, I'm skipping it. I'm skipping this track because uh, track it's so bad. It's just not, I don't know what some of these artists are thinking nowadays, but they could definitely take a page or two from Mr. Jackson and just cut down. And look what he got. 66 million uh, albums sold probably still selling copies somewhere. It's definitely people still looking for um, original copies of the vinyl on, on Thriller, man. Yeah. So, you know, what more can really be said? I could talk about the entire album. I'm not going to do that. Just this five song run, five out of nine songs. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for listening to the story. I think it's an amazing story. Um, thanks for listening to me. Thanks for spending the time with me. Shout out to you, the real MVP, for staying on this long. Episode five. This is one for the books, man. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is a fun episode. I enjoyed myself. Anyway, shout out to you for staying here. If you want to donate to the cause, help me produce a better show. Uh, dollar sign, Troy, track, select on Cash App. And, uh, I guess I'll see you on the next one, man. Episode five, down for the books. Peace out. Have a great week.